Greetings from Detroit. You're listening to One Record. My name is Mike Dukevich. I collect records from the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. Each episode of this show will focus on a single record from my collection, and we'll hear from the artists themselves, sometimes for the first time, as they share their stories and reflect on making music in Detroit half a century ago. On this episode of One Record, we interview Gino Parks. He'll take us through the highs and lows of recording for two of the most prolific and celebrated record labels to ever exist in this city, or anywhere for that matter, Fortune and Motown. He'll also take us through his first session at Motown and the raucous 1961 single that resulted, Same Thing. Stay tuned. Michael Hurt is a writer and Detroit music expert who, along with the late Billy Miller, literally wrote the book on Fortune Records. Mind Over Matter, The Myths and Mysteries of Detroit's Fortune Records will be available from Kix Books in the coming months. I asked him to provide some context for the story we're about to hear from Gino Parks. I mean, Andre Williams had, was a, it was like, you know, a cat with nine lives, like he continuously like, you know, rebirthed himself Gino fits in and as sort of the spearheader of the second tier of Andre's Fortune Records career. And they formed a group. And this was where Andre Williams really became a household name because the first record they recorded was Bacon Fat. And that's a whole story unto itself. <laughs> Those guys had always had, ever since they met each other, it's like Gino Parks and Andre Williams are you know, Alabama homeboys. And uh, they shared that common history and heritage and just always got along really well and, and were kind of magical together. I mean, you can tell from the records, you know, who knows? I would have loved to have seen him on stage. I think it's interesting that through his own admission, he never really gave much thought to being a professional singer. He never really wanted to be an entertainer. And yet he's harnessed this outrageous, powerful voice that you don't hear on a lot of records. His voice is like primal on some level. Primal, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and it's again, the gospel-oriented, like sort of gospel-charged approach this guy had to singing. I mean, it was just, but he was a rock and roller too. It was, it was very rock and roll. Almost not even R&B, you know? Mm-hmm. He had that rock and roll spirit and, and then that gospel thing too, and it was just fantastic, you know? So I feel like the Motown or the Tamil records were a little bit, of a continuation of that. Years ago, I, I bought this Motown compilation called Switched On Blues. Same thing, and that's no lie, we're on that compilation, and that's no lie just blew my mind. It's just like so, to me, that really shows the Geno Parks thing that Andre always talked about too. And it was like, that was one of the reasons that probably those guys, because Andre, by his own admission, could barely sing. So. I mean, he would rap, he would talk, he would, you know, make it happen, do all kinds of other stuff. But between the two of these guys, um, yeah, and I think the Motown records, the Tamil records that right. Gino did are representative of that. I mean, uh, especially that first one, I just think, you know, it, it was amazing, that, that record, when I first heard it, and um, I've always loved it. 
I think it's interesting that they uh, they kind of had the automatic turnaround, as Andre referred to it, because, you know, when they met each other, Andre was kind of the star. And so Gino was kind of, and they had this great bond with each other, so Gino was kind of his second guy. You know, you'd have, he was like, you know, the, the guy that would be the valet would also be the guy that opened the show back then and different stuff like that. And it was typically your best buddy. And then when Gino started having his success with you know, during the Motown years and later at Golden World, then Andre was his second guy. They just kind of switched roles into who was going to be, you know, in the front of things. I don't know, it says a lot about their relationship, I think. But yeah, they made amazing records. They were an amazing, a magical combination, for sure. And I think Gino Parks is one of the, like Andre Williams and like so many of these other folks, is, is one of the lost voices of Detroit. You know, he's the... He's the guy we should be hearing all the time, you know, but yet we're not unless we're playing the records. And that should change because, you know, this guy's records are just one of a kind. My name is Gino Parks. I'm originally from Fairfield, Alabama. I graduated from high school from May 1950. June 26, 1950, I volunteered for the Air Force and was sent to Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio. During the time that I was in the Air Force, my mother moved to Detroit. When I went to Detroit in Christmas of 1954, I never lived in Alabama again. I remember when I started singing gospel oh, in elementary school, and that's where it all came from. I am strictly from the church, and I sang with two or three groups in Alabama before going to Detroit, and all the groups that I sang with, we sang pop, we had doo-wop, and, but we sang spirituals mostly, and that's exactly where it came from. It, it really wasn't done for money. It was done because we just liked to do it. It just came natural. Started hanging out at this bar. But we were sitting in the bar drinking wine. And, and when the band would play, sometimes I would just sing along with whatever they were playing, you know. And uh, the guitar player asked me if I wanted to join a group. I said, I don't care, sure. I joined the group with Andre Williams at Fortune Recording Company. That summer, we had a hit record out with a group called Andre Williams and his new group, and the name of their record was Bacon Fat. You go. Oh, how Entertain the people, youngin'. Oh, help yourself. You guys formed the new group, I think, from what I remember. Oh, yeah, it was called uh, Bacon Fat, Andre Williams and his new group. Because we were so new, we had never thought about getting a name. I thought we was going to be called the Don Juans. Because the $5. Yep, I remember the $5. They were there before we were there. 
Because Andre used to sing with the Five Dollars. And the Five Dollars then took the name the Don Juans as an alter ego with Zorro masks. I don't know if you knew about that, but some of the records that Andre made with the Don Juans, or even some of the records you probably made, you probably have the Don Juans on. It's really the Five Dollars. Right, exactly. So you guys are supposed to be the Don Juans. Yeah, that's why we never sat down to try to form a a name, because we was going to be the Don Juans. Fascinating. That, That I did not know. Due to the fact that we didn't get credit for none of the writing of the song, the group busted up. Every, uh, the whole group put in on the song. It wasn't just Andre, and certainly not Miss Brown. But she put her name on everything that went out of fortune. Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Nobody wanted to deal with Andre because they knew he was a crook. And, uh, and Andre went on the road by himself performing and he went the, 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 the regular route the Apollo etc etc and but he was not making it by himself because the song was done by a group it was a group it was not a solo he came back through Detroit one night we got together at an after hours place that we used to hang out and uh, him realizing that he couldn't make it by himself he asked me if I would join him on the road. And I said, okay. So we created a duet, and we worked as a duo. And we did pretty good. We did the Chitlin' Circuit. And as a matter of fact, we were relatively successful. When we got back to Detroit, we were performing. We were still performing until 1958. Got a new dance they call uh, Bacon Fat. It goes. Oh, help Help yourself, Then you go. Some of those records you guys made, you know, Andre called them $10 wine specials. He said, oh, we've been making those records for wine money. They were terrible. But I thought those records were amazing. And he did, too, when we were making them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you can tell you guys are having a blast. Yeah, yeah. Georgia May is moving. I love that one. She came through in a mark four. She had to pedal to the floor. She sideswiped. A Cadillac, she completely destroyed a Bonneville Pony Hey, I wonder what this Well, I think what made our thing work together, working together, was we both from Alabama. He was born about nine miles from me. He was born in Bessemer, Alabama. I was born in Fairfield. We didn't know each other in Alabama. And the fact that he realized my talents and I realized his talents and, and, and circumstances arose that got us together and it worked for a while. Well, Andre had talent. He had talent. There's no doubt about that. We were never at odds or anything of that nature. It was purely economical. 
But he was a goddamn crook. Andre took care of the business, regretfully, because I found out stuff, you know, and stuff wasn't making sense to me. Did you ever confront him about it? No, I just quit. I took my ball and went home, took my bungos and went home. See, I had to stay on Andre's ass because he was taking care of the business. And if I didn't stay on his ass, things just wouldn't go right, you know. Dot every I and cross every T. See, I had gotten married then. It wasn't fun and games no more with me. I got married in 1958. Being married meant I had responsibilities that I didn't have previously, and I had to have something that was steady. So I went with Motown in 1959. When I went with Motown and I had a, a record release, Motown was instrumental in me. I didn't buy a Cadillac, I put it that way. I bought a house. I stopped running the street, so to speak. I love you and wow! 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 Oh, I said I just know lie, baby, now. Yeah, I want to tell you that's no lie, baby. Said it's all right. Andre and I were after bacon fat. We were on the road together. We were doing pretty good. And we was always pretty good around Detroit. But we, we had a show at the Gold Coast Theater and invited all of the groups in Detroit and all of the um, popular singers in Detroit, and we did like a, an Apollo-type thing for a whole week. Appearing on this show was a group called the Matadors which actually was the Miracles. At that time, they were known as the Matadors. Barry was managing them at that time, although I didn't know it. He was the one that got them on the show. When I left Fortune, I went to Motown and was accepted with open arms. Barry told me, sure, did I have a release from Fortune? And I didn't, so I got it. I asked for a release, and they said no. So I went to a lawyer and told him what I wanted, and I got the release. It cost me $50. I worked every club in Detroit. Phelps Lounge, 20 grand. His Green, Lee Sensation, which was like my home. Anytime I needed a gig and didn't have a gig, I could always go to Lee's. And uh, it was always like maybe three acts on, a female act, a male act, and a dancer. Back in the day, we called them shake dancers. And it was the same thing at the 20 Grand. 20 Grand was, was the biggest club in Detroit for uh, R&B. Now we had the big time clubs like the Flame, which were brought in top acts. Now I never worked the Flame in my whole career, but I did. I worked Chappies, and uh, I worked every other club in Detroit, along with all of the other groups like the Temps. <laughs> <laughs> 
I used to work the, the Rage Show by on uh, Davidson with the Temps was like relative regularity, maybe once or twice a month before they ever had a hit. And now I met them while they were the distance. They had a hit uh, called Come Home. They were with Jeremy Matthews. Do you feel like Detroit was pretty unique in what was happening at that period? Well, yeah, of course. I, I rated us with New York. And Chicago, when I rated us over Chicago before the mid and late 50s, there were recordings going on, but they were like out-of-town companies. Bristol Bryant did some recording, and uh, most of them were on United Sound and other companies. And um, once we started going, like uh, Motown and, and Correct Home and... Golden World, all of those came after Motown. And a Fortune, oh, I forgot Fortune. I was on Fortune before Motown. Fortune had hits. They were the ones that inspired uh, Motown's uh, coming on the scene. Whoa, I love you, girl. But that's something that worries me. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think my first Motown recording came out in 1960, 1960, 61, which was named first, the A-side was same thing. The words were written by me. Every word of both sides was made up by me with Mickey Stevenson on the piano. It just so happened that there was a session scheduled for Mary Wells who was late for the session, so Mickey and I went in and we recorded both sides of the record right then and there. Once I gave up my heart to a woman, she promised she was gonna do right, then I gave up my love Waiting for Mary to get there, uh, the band, the Funk Brothers was already there. Everybody was there, the background singers and whatever. And I was there in, in hopes that I might get a chance to make a little money singing background, okay? I think Marvin cut something that same he might have did hitchhike. But anyway, Mickey Stevenson, who was the A&R director, we went out into the hallway, which was a piano out there, and he played some chords and I made up some words, and we did the same thing. They were all blues changes. It was nothing difficult. It was all impromptu. We made it up right on the spot. I didn't sit down and, and say, let me see what I'm going to write about. No, it was making the, whoop, the words as I go along with the, with the track. Whoa, I love you, girl. I just made that up, yeah. How long do you think that whole process took? About a half hour. It didn't take long at all. As a matter of fact, what we did, and we did a, a track on it. We, we, we did the vocal at the same time and the track at the same time. So after Mary came in and, and did her session, we had a track on both songs and anything that they, the engineers wanted to do to try to perfect it. We did it after the fact, you know. 
how long do you think the entire process took that day from you guys at the piano to being done with the tracking? About a half hour. Oh, wow. Even the recording, was that was all half an hour. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, because the music was not that difficult. Like I say, it was all blues changes, you know. We did two or three things that same day, you know, because we were in the sessions all day, you know. But it was mainly Mary Wells' session. That I remember it was her session. Put a chain on it. 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 My feeling was I was glad to get the recorded. I was glad to have the opportunity. And when I mentioned it to Mickey, I said, well, what about writers writer? He said, you want to get it released? I said, yeah. He said, well, don't worry about it. Well, I guess you know how that is. He got the writers writer in order for me to get a release on the record. It was just that simple. Hurt yourself. The, the writer's part I learned at Fortune, because when the record was released, nobody got credit but Andre and Miss Brown. And Miss Brown didn't write nothing. I never received royalties or credit for anything except getting record releases. None of the writer's royalties or the producers, nothing. Really and truly, I was not bitter. Disappointed, yes, bitter, no. Now, I know artists that were there at the same time that I was, and some of them were bitter, namely a good friend of mine, Sammy Ward. He was very bitter um, because he was, he was there before I was, and he had five or six releases, and nothing ever went, you know, went big. And he was just with an artist as anybody that was there. And I felt that I was too. Now, I was working pretty good uh, doing personal appearances uh, around Detroit and other places, but it started slowing down, especially after I got married, you know, because. Uh, I became domesticated, and I had to be, like, employed permanently. And so I went to work for Chrysler November of 63. I left Motown in 63. Motown went big in 64. And uh, I left show business completely, almost completely, but now I would get a gig. Not having a record, it slowed down after a while. And uh, after a while, I just, if somebody called me, I went. If they didn't call me, I didn't go searching. I had a regular job. I tell you the beautiful truth. I, I had fond memories with both recording companies. I had fond memories because at the time I went to Fortune, I didn't go there as a means of making a living. I went there for something to do. I was out of school for the summer. That's what I did not, I went because somebody asked me. I, I wasn't pursuing entertainment world. 
It was just something to do for the summer. The fact that I had the opportunity to uh, be with and record with and be in the company of some of the greatest artists that emanated for the, for the country in the world. It was, it was just an experience that I will never forget and that I'm always grateful for. And had I not gone to Detroit, it never would have happened, I don't think. Yeah, all in all, it was a nice ride. But the only thing is, man, I just don't feel I got my props, man. But that's something that worries me, yeah, 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 yeah. Once I gave up my heart to a woman, she promised she was gonna do right. Then I gave up my love to another. She said she loved me day and night, but whoa, oh my son. They left me all alone and blue, I'm afraid. This episode of One Record featured the following songs. Same Thing, For This I Thank You, That's No Lie, Fire, and Last Night I Cried by Gino Parks. 
Georgia May is Moving and Put a Chain on It by Andre Williams and Geno Parks, and Bacon Fat by Andre Williams and his new group. Special thanks to Geno Parks for participating. He spoke to us by phone from his home in Decatur, Georgia on September 27th and November 29th, 2019. Thanks to Drew Schultz for helping me get in touch with Mr. Parks. Thanks to Mike Hurt for contributing to the interview. Thanks to Mike and Adam Stanfell for providing a few of the records that you heard in this episode. Thanks to Chris Flanagan at Street Corner Music and Matt Thibodeau for providing photos of Geno Parks, which you can see now on our website. Thanks to Dave Frazee for his always timely moral and financial support. This episode was produced by myself, Mike Dukevich. It was mastered by David Yurkovich at Balboa Recording Studio in Los Angeles. You can find out more about One Record at onerecordproject.com or at onerecordproject on Instagram and Facebook. Please subscribe to this show and give us an honest review wherever you find your podcasts. As always, you can help us get the word out by sharing One Record with anyone who loves music. I'm Mike Tukevich. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. you girl but that's something that'll worry me yeah 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 once i gave up my heart to a woman she promised she was gonna do right then i gave up my love to another she said she loved me day and night but whoa my 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 soul she left me all alone and blue i'm afraid same thing will happen with you now no, not me, baby, not I, baby. Ain't nobody, no, nobody's gonna break my heart. <sighs> I can't make it no more. <laughs> yeah, it's been a long time since I've done that. Yeah, buddy. Because it was not a hit record, you know. <laughs>